dive into our new sermon series today. You guys excited? <laughs> We're going to uh, talk about or dive into the book of Luke. You like Alex made fun of my sermon graphics, new sermon graphics. <laughs> yes. Oh, we'll be better. Oh, that's pretty good, I think. I like it. Anyway, we're going to talk about Luke, and we're going to talk about specifically diving or getting out of the book of Luke, um, what he focuses on, and, and really the Gospels, those first four books of the New Testament. Uh, we have, right, the whole Bible, and we have it divided into two sections, that Old Testament and then that New Testament, and there's 66 of, of subsections within that whole Bible, this whole story, this grand narrative of God and, and working with his people through his son Jesus and redeeming them and all of that. So it starts with Genesis and ends with Revelation and there's 39 in that Old Testament and there's 27 in the New Testament and within those two sections, there's smaller sections, right? And so there's this um, first section in the New Testament called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and we're going to take the third one, Luke, and we're going to um, look at each chapter uh, before leading up to Easter, which is on April Fool's Day, April 1st this year. So there's 11 weeks, and we're going to take a chapter. We're not going to get through the whole book of Luke. We're going to take a break, and then we may finish at the end of the year, and we'll come back with it at the beginning of next year. But that's what we're going to do for the next 11 weeks is to dive in to the book of Luke. The author of Luke is Luke, <laughs> and he is a physician who is writing this orderly account to Theophilus so that he might have a sense of understanding or uh, something for him to bank on for his beliefs, and he's writing it to um, a Greek audience, and what we begin to learn about Luke, which I thought was interesting is that Luke spent most of his life um, with Paul, who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. Another interesting side fact, if you were to say who wrote the most of the New Testament, probably a lot of us would say Paul did, because there's a lot of books that are, are attributed to him. But in actuality, Luke is the one who wrote the, major or, uh, the biggest majority of the New Testament, about 27-28% of the New Testament was written by Luke in two books, Luke and the book of Acts. And so in those two books, um, he wrote about 27-28% of the whole New Testament, and then Paul kind of followed right after that. And so that's, we can learn a lot from the book of Luke and, and his authorship. Again, we, we quickly read in the first chapter, verses 1 through 4, that, that Luke is writing this um, to Theophilus and also to us as an audience, to the reader, that, that we might have certainty um, in the things that we have been taught, clear back from when we were little or when we came to know Christ as our personal Savior. What we begin to learn in the four Gospels is that the first one is Matthew, and, and in that um, each one of these Gospels is, is giving us an account of the life of Jesus, right? From his birth to how he lived his life to the pinnacle or the climax of history, really, is the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it talks about um, the redemption of mankind and, 
and then from that, the, uh, how we're to live our life, and then, and then from that, that God wants a relationship with us and what that looks like, discipleship, and then from that, the life that we're going to live in heaven after we pass away, after we're done on this earth. And so the Gospels give us that whole thing in these four books, and each one brings out a different nuance about our Savior. In the book of Matthew, for instance, he highlights Jesus as king, and he's writing mainly to a Jewish audience. And so for us to say that he is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, that's the emphasis that the Matthew brings in Mark we see that he emphasizes the fact that Jesus is a servant and he's writing mainly to a Roman audience. And so the title, Suffering Servant, is what comes out in this nuance of the book of um, Mark. John focuses on um, Jesus as God and really brings that out. And so Luke which is interesting, and it's really very applicable to us, and it's the longest book of the Gospels, emphasizes, and it's written to a Greek audience, and he emphasizes Jesus' humanity, that not only is he fully God, but he's also fully man. He's fully human. And so the title, Son of God, is very apropos to this book of Luke. And so... Um, what we begin to see is that Luke fleshes this out for us and um, what that looks like in our life or how he modeled it and what it looks like for us to be redeemed, what it looks like for us to be um, regenerated. In other words, we have this old life of sin and now when Christ comes into our heart, when we place our faith in him, he gives us this new life and what does that look like? Jesus modeled that for us and, and Luke expands on that and gives us this, probably the most detailed picture of what it looks like, what it means to be, um, to, to live this new life. And the disciples struggled with this just like you and I do. And so it was Jesus explaining this to them through parables and then explaining the parables and all that. And so I'm excited to dive into this, to really um, to take out of these chapters what was so unique about Jesus as man, Jesus as human, and then how does that apply to us in our daily life? And he, um, um, and so this is where we're going to go. This is where we're going to go um, in the book of Luke. The other thing that is very attractive that, that Luke brings out, or not the other thing, but to further dive into the fact that that Jesus is fully man. The thing that's attractive, right, with that is that, um, well, there's things that are very attractive to us about Jesus as being fully man. The first one is this, is that we feel like we can identify with him as uh, the son of God, or not the son of God, but the son of man, right? That we can identify with God as a human, or Jesus as a human. And it's, Luke then begins to present um, Jesus as a very real man. He brings out his humanity. We see in the, in the, in the verses that we're going to look at um, this morning that he was hungry. 
and experienced hunger and experienced the things that you and I experience on a day-to-day basis. At the end of chapter 2, um, we see that Jesus is a little guy and he's growing and, and Luke is the one who says he grew in his wisdom and his stature and began to gain favor with God and man. And so there was this time where he grew and he was beginning to learn and he's beginning to become a man. And so there's many, many things that Luke brings out that the other Gospels don't that begin to stress his humanity. Um, And and, and even though he's perfect, we begin to read, um, he's someone that we feel like that we can identify with. And there's this, I feel like there's this kinship that happens between us and Jesus when we read this about him in the Gospels. Um, It's because of what he has faced and what I face, and sometimes we put him way up here, but more than anything, he is one that we can identify because of what he has faced and what we have faced and how we can go through this life together. And, and I feel like, and I pray that it's very, very encouraging to you of what we're beginning to read. Secondly, what makes Jesus in Luke's gospel so attractive is that he is also different from us. He's not only like us in his humanity, but he's different from us. Um, Even though we are the same in the sense of being human, um, he holds this fascination to us, right? Because not only was he human, but he was perfect. And so we, we have this model that we can put here and we can look towards, I mean, right, in, in all sports, we do that, um, Yesterday, the Patriots won. Tom Brady, the quarterback, he's, they call him the GOAT, right? The greatest of all time. And so the quarterbacks that are going up into the system and they're looking at that, they're going, there's someone there, even though Tom Brady's not perfect, there's someone that there they can look up towards and emulate and, and be that way. There's a certain fascination to him as a quarterback. Now, not in the same way, but much greater, Jesus Right, He's human, we can identify with that, but yet he's perfect. And so there's someone that, that we can look up towards and uh, we know that we fall short, but that he loves us and we can go, all right, this is who I want to be like as a man or a woman on this earth. Thirdly, the Jesus that Luke presents and why it's so attracted to us is his compassion. I mean, this compassion of Jesus oozes out of us. Sorry, I keep getting text messages on my iPad. I hope you can't see them up there. And it just is throwing me off. Um, but his compassion is incredible. And, and Luke emphasizes that more than, the, even though we see that compassion in, in Matthew and in Mark and John, Luke emphasizes it even more. And this compassion is something that we're so attractive to. And um, there's many, many references in the book of Luke where Jesus um, embraces, he interacts with, with the look down upon people of this world, with the despised, whether it's um, uh, the tax collector people of the world or it's um, the Greeks who were looked down upon, whether it was women who were looked down upon, whether it was um, the poor, the sick, children, and just the out of society, Jesus 
spent a lot of time interacting with them and showing them compassion. And we see this in the stories, and the people were flocking to him. You're going to see, if you read the book of Luke and you follow along with us, that just every time he went somewhere, every time he got up and spoke, people just began to flock towards him. And there was something about him that attracted people, and they wanted to be with him. And we are attracted to that. We're attracted to his compassion. We want to be like that. And there's people that were drawn to him. Little kids were drawn to him. And, um, and we want that as well. We're going to uh, dive into chapter 4 this morning. That's where we're headed. It's chapter 4. And we're going to look at the story of um, Jesus' temptation in the desert. And to get us set up for that, we, we read chapters 1, 2, and 3. And we begin to see that it starts right with the birth of, Jesus, or birth of John the Baptist. And then we look at the birth of Jesus, what we just got done really celebrating this past Christmas. And, and all those things that are dealing with the birth and surrounded the birth of Jesus and, and all of that. And then um, he grows and um, they take him to the temple. Simeon and Anna are there. And they um, really exalt him as the Messiah. And then the next instance we read about is Jesus, um, they go back to the temple and he's there and his mom and dad go back and obviously Jesus is not with them, or not obviously, but he wasn't with them. And then they go back because they thought he was lost and they find him um, conversing with the older religious leaders of the day and he was around 12 when that happened. And um, so he didn't, he tells his parents, don't you know this is what I'm supposed to be doing? And they didn't really probably understand that. But then it says, Scripture says that he was obedient to his mom and dad and he went back with them. And then the next part that we read is when Jesus is 30, around 30 years old. And so there was this 18-year period where we don't know much about Jesus and the life that he lived. But then the next part we see is when Jesus was around 30, somewhere in there, that we see that John the Baptist came into the picture and he um, kind of was a prelude to Jesus and he sp spoke a message of repentance and he baptized people and he said that there is someone greater coming that, um, that you're going to see in a little bit. And then we see Jesus come onto the scene and he was baptized and, and God said, I'm well pleased with you and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And then there's a genealogy and then bam, chapter four hits. So let's read verses 1 through 13 of chapter 4. If you got your Bibles, get that out on your phone. If I can read this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when, he, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone, or command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him, took him up, and showed him all the, the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, 
it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, If it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, and so the devil quotes scripture, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord, God, Lord your God into the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune, until an opportune time. And so here's where we have Jesus. He has just began his public ministry, and he's had this beautiful moment of baptism, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and God says, I am well, this is my beloved son, I am well pleased. And and the next part we see is that, that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, and he was tempted or tested by the devil. And we read three instances of his testing in these 13 verses. We don't know if there was more testing that went on in those 40 days. There probably was, but we read the three. And Luke has them in this order. Matthew uh, starts with the first one and then switches the two around, but we're going to go with what Luke is saying here. And so um, the first thing, the first point in this whole idea of Jesus' testing is that that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're going to look at that, you're going to, if you think about it, here is Jesus who is fully God, right? The second part of that Trinity where there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus comes down, the incarnation, as a man. And he is a baby and he grows up and all of that. And then we read that he um, is baptized and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's being led by the Holy Spirit. And we're probably thinking, well, why does Jesus need the Holy Spirit? And I think it's cool that Luke brings this out in the sense that you read about the Spirit and Jesus more in this book than you do in the other Gospels. And I think the reason why he does that is to give us a picture that, yes, Jesus is fully human, and there's this humanity there, and he needs the Holy Spirit, right? So it's not just using his godness to get through life. He needs the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on him. And it gives us a model, right? It gives us a model for us of how we're to live our life. And so that's the first point, is that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 talks about that, that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, that we are to um, not quench the Spirit. And quenching, not quenching means that we're not to cut it off by sin or habitual sin in our life. And we're to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. We're to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and we're to have fellowship with him and to allow him to lead us in our life. 
Luke emphasizes that even more in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in Acts, where he talks about where Peter and Stephen and Barnabas and Paul were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they followed the Lord's directions in their life. And so that becomes a staple in us for those who have placed their faith in Christ and are his sons and his daughters, that we are to be, and I think that's something that we tend to forget. We place our faith, and then we just begin to live our life. And we forget about this third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that needs to invade us and to guide us and to comfort us and to be led by. And so that's the first part. The second, so here we go to the first test in verses 3 and 4 of Luke chapter 4. And um, it's interesting that he's in the desert and he's choosing not to eat. And so the circumstances surrounding this first test could, could not be any more um, incredible or worse for Jesus because I'm sure that he is hungry to the point of, I, I need something, right? And so here comes the devil, here comes Satan to test Jesus. And what does he say? I want you to, um, I want you to turn this rock into bread. And I'm sure, you know, for us, if we were hungry, there was a moment where, I don't know if there's a moment in his life, but there was a part where he's rationalizing that, we, that it could be a case for rationalization that's saying that, well, I am hungry and ah, this is not that such a big a deal, so I'm just going to do this, right? But yet, what does Jesus do? He takes scripture from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8 and he says no, right? I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to do that. And he doesn't give in. It's interesting that Adam and Eve lived a life where there's so much there, plenty, and they chose to give in to their selfish desires. And Jesus was tested where there was nothing there, and he was given something. And he says, no, I, I trust in my God that he's going to supply my every need in my life. Regardless of the path that he's taking me on, I'm going to trust and move forward no matter what my physical state is. The second test, the second temptation that Luke records um, was an appeal for, um, for, for Jesus to be in control of all the kingdoms in the world. And so uh, the devil um, says, I'm going to give you all of this, but the condition is, is that you must worship me instead of your heavenly father. I want you to bend the knee to me, to, to Satan. And, and Jesus, again, refers to Moses in Deuteronomy um, chapter 6, verse 13, um, where, um, where Moses warned the people about their attitude when they finally um, were to get the land. They were finally to get to land, to get to the promised land and achieve some of that blessing that was promised to them. And Moses was warning them about the mistake of taking credit for this and not giving the glory to God, not giving God credit. And so the devil was offering a crossless experience or path of discipleship really to Jesus. And he goes, no, that's not what I'm going to do. I know what my mission is, and I'm going to keep going with that. And in that, I'm going to give God all the glory because that credit goes to him. 
And the third test comes where um, he takes him up to the, the top point of the temple. And he says, I want you to you know, throw yourself down because your angels will come and um, you know, not have you be hurt. And um, so the temptation here is, is that um, he's forcing Jesus to test God in the sense of that, is he really going to protect him? And, and Jesus knows that, that, that God is trustworthy, that God is good, and all of that, and that he doesn't need to put him to the test. And so he said, I already know that to be true, and so why do I need to do that? And he proceeds forward and says, nope, I'm not going to do that. And so he's quoting scripture, and he is not taking the bait that Satan is throwing at him. Satan feels, all right, this is not winnable right now. And he says, you've, in essence, passed the test, and he's going away, and he's going to wait for another opportune time. And we see that over and over in the book of Luke, that, that um, the battle between Satan and Jesus happens over and over again. And we all know, or we know, we begin to learn that Jesus always wins. And Satan has been defeated. So here's what I think. Um, how many of you seen A Knight's Tale? That movie. It's, it's this movie about this man who um, is not from royal birth, but he wants to be a knight, and he can't be a knight because... Knights come from royalty, and he really wants to, to, to be a part of these uh, battles, these uh, swords, and jousting, and boxing, I think is the other one, or whatever it might be, and he wants to be a part of that, and he can't, and so he devi de devises this plan that he's going to basically produce papers that claim that he's a knight, and participate in all these events, and and he does a pretty good job, and he begins to win, you know, awkwardly at first, but then he begins to gain some skill, and he begins to win these battles. And there's a certain um, knight that becomes jealous, and, and you can see, you can feel this whole movie rising to this one pinnacle moment where this epic battle is going to happen. Well, before that can happen, it becomes, um, you'll find out that people begin to realize that this one the hero of the story, is not really a knight. And so he is shamed in all of that. Um, but then through that, um, it seems like the protagonist has victory or won, but no, not really, because he rises up and someone gives him the opportunity to compete. And so then there's this epic battle between the villain and the hero. And the jousting begins to happen, right? And, and in that, we learn that the villain cheats and and, you know, almost seems like the hero is going to not make it. And then the last jousting, and, of course, he hits the villain. And the villain, in epic slow motion with beautiful music, falls on the ground, and he's been defeated. And the next scene we see um, is him lying on the ground, looking up. And then there's, I think there's four or five people, the hero and then his posse, are looking down on him, and then we see this incredible, incredible quote. It says, you have been weighed, you have been measured, 
and you've absolutely, and then there's this beautiful pause, been found wanting. And you go, ah, yes. I love that moment. I don't know why. (laughs) But it's just a great moment in that movie, right? And then, we, you know, the parties and the music, and it just ends, and it's happy ever after, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. A reason why I tell you that story of that movie is because I believe that a lot of our life is just like that. Is that we have these, that there's these epic battles that go on in our life between the villain and us. Of course, Satan is this villain here, and then there's us, right? And then there's this epic battle that goes on, and there's some moments that are bigger than others, but I want to say that these, there's always these battles that happen every day between this crossroad of whether I'm going to be obedient to Christ and what I know to be true or not. And, and this um, story that we read in Luke chapter 4 is really this, this pinnacle moment for Christ in the desert in this testing. I mean, Jesus knew his father. Jesus knew um, his path that he was going to be led down to eventually to the cross. He knew that his God was going to provide for him. And so I think Luke included this story for us to begin to um, understand Jesus and his humanity being led in the spirit and how he overcame the testing or temptation in his life. And it's really those four things that we talked about. First of all, it's being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. The second thing is to, to know the truth, is to know the truth. The third thing is to believe the truth. And then the last thing is to act on that truth. These are the four things that he talks about. And it's interesting that when we read that story in Luke chapter 4, that this is what Jesus is doing, right? He's being filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows the truth. Because he quotes um, scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And so we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to know the truth. We're to take this book, whether in this physical form or on your whatever device you might use, and we're to read it. We're to get to know it. Not just to read it, but to get to know the God who created you the God who wrote this, to get to know his son, Jesus Christ, who God sent to be our redeemer. To get to know the Holy Spirit in this book. And then to get to know the stories of the many, many people who who came to know Christ and who struggled and who failed, but then they had victory. So we're to get to know that so that it can be encouraging to us. Not only that, then we're to believe the truth. I mean, that's what we see Jesus doing in those stories. He believed that his father was good. He believed that his heavenly father, if he wanted him, would provide food for him when he's hungry. He believed that the truth that his father said that I will have you sit with me in heaven and all the nations will be under your footstool. He believed that his father is good and will protect him. He believed that in all his heart. And then 
The last thing is that he acted on it. And I think that's one of the things that we, we miss so much is this part of acting on that truth. And the interesting thing about those four things is that we would like to look at them in a very linear fashion. And they're not linear in that sense. They work together in a beautiful symphony. So being filled with the Spirit, um, knowing the truth, believing that truth and then acting on it is something that we do all together. We don't just do one and then forget the others. We're going to struggle. We're not going to win. Um, I think the title of your outline says when, when, um, what to do when your metal is tested. <clears throat> and I feel like that happens every day. When you wake up, you're tested. When you go to work or your kids are getting ready for school um, and it's just chaotic, getting ready for church can be chaotic. Um, with your spouse, with your husband, with your kids, with your extended family, all that, you're being tested daily. There's big moments of testing and there's smaller moments. And I'm saying in that testing, the model that Jesus provides for us, the model that he says, I want you to be like that we're to aspire to, is first of all to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in that, to know God, to know the truth, to know who he is and his character and scripture and how he's worked and Jesus and his life and all of that so that the Holy Spirit can bring to remembrance those truths and then from that begin to believe it, begin to believe that that is true. When we struggle with sin, when we feel like, right, and I don't know where you feel like, if you feel like you're the, the people that are looking down or you always feel like you're on the ground looking up and there's someone saying you've been weighed, you've been measured, and you've absolutely been found wanting, if you feel like you're there all the time. And we want to be that part where we're victorious, right? I've been weighed, I've been measured, and I have not been found wanting. Why? Because of Christ in me. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is leading me. Why? Because I know the truth. Why? Because I believe the truth. And why? Because I act on that truth. And that's hard. It's hard when you're in the desert of your life. It's hard when people are bullying you. It's hard when you are figuratively hungry. It's hard when you don't have any grandchildren in your life. Oh, I don't know what it is. It's hard when you have cancer or sickness or illness or financial struggles or you just feel depressed or whatever, or lonely or whatever it might be. It is hard. And the very fact that the, the, that the Holy Spirit led Christ into the wilderness should let us know that it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be the easiest path that God is going to lead us down. But the truth still remains that our God loves you. And he desires to have that relationship. And he wants you to be more like his son. And he said, all right, here is how you can combat testing temptation in your life. The key, and I'm going to have the worship team coming up, the key to Jesus' triumph is his faithfulness in walking with God 
wherever God leads him. It's his faithfulness in walking with God wherever God leads him, even in the midst of trying and testing times. Jesus shows that it's not always the easiest road, or it wasn't always the easiest road for him. But in that, his trust and his faithfulness and his obedience was rock solid. And that's what we need to aspire to. For those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that's where we need to go to. I'm excited for the book of Luke. I pray that you are. Excited to learn about Jesus more and what that means for our life. And we're going to look at chapter 5 next week. And I would love for you to, um, to reread chapter 4 because there's many other stories in the rest of that chapter that are equally riveting to me. And then take that and then pre-read, or not pre-read, <laughs> pre-hussy, read chapter 5 in advance of Sunday morning. I know speaking is difficult for me. Um, so chapter 4, chapter 5 this week, and then we're going to get on a rhythm of you're just going to read the chapter before we speak that week. All right, does that make sense? Is that good? Hope you can do that. And um, we're just going to pray that God will do amazing things through this, through this study and um, looking forward to Easter and, and um, what all God is going to do. Amen? Let me pray. And then we'll worship together. God, we just thank you for today. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that you um, brought him into this world as a little baby. And he grew in stature and he grew in wisdom and is fully human. And that we can identify with, God. It's hard for us to figure out how does this all work, being fully God, being fully you, and being fully human, God. But we know it to be true. And we can identify with his humanness, Father. And so help us as we continue to dive into the book of Luke, this gospel, to learn more and more what it means to be your disciple, God. And if we've never come to faith to you, God, I pray that you will open up our hearts and our ears to hear that truth, God, and to submit our life to you and say yes. And so, God, we give you glory, we give you honor, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.